What is up, friends? Welcome back to episode 48 of the Hard Hitting Sports Podcast. My name is Jack. On the left of my Zoom screen is my good friend, Jordan Lauby. Jordan, how are we doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Not happy, but not upset with the Cardinals draft, but very happy with the Yankees and their great start to the month. NBA, we're going to talk a little bit about it. 76ers, we'll see if they can go all the way. Same thing with the Celtics. We'll see what happens, but... Not looking good throughout the first game for each of us, but again, yeah. both of them play tonight. We'll see what happens. Yeah, wanna wanna recap the first round a little bit. Obviously, just got some breaking news probably about 20 or so minutes ago. Marcus Smart out for game two. I know by the time you guys are listening to this, game two will have been history in this series. But um, yeah, gonna gonna have some live reactions to that. But did want to touch base just kind of briefly on the first round. I think last time we recorded not for the NFL mock draft was just after game one of the first round um, for all eight series. So obviously we got the Celtics sweeping bucks doing what we expected winning in about five games. Heat Hawks was not as close, not as heavily contested as we, we thought um, you were you nailed it on the head with the Sixers series, Jordan. Then obviously in the West too, I think it was pretty accurate. You nailed it with that Mav series. Um, obviously the Devin Booker injury, let the Pelicans get back into that series a little bit, but they were still able to win two of the three games um, that Devin Booker was out. So showing why the Suns are her true one seed um, and the best team in basketball. Yeah. I, I Suns are unreal. They made the Mavericks look like JV kids out there in game one, but overall the, the first series for every single team, besides maybe the Hawks and the heat, you know, were really, really sharp to see. Um, and another thing I called, I said, if the Nets and Kyrie and KD can't figure it out and both go off the same night, they're going to get swept and look yeah. what happened. It was, yeah, small margins of victory. I think 18 points total throughout four games. It's the lowest ever in a sweeping series. Um, or it might be the second lowest. I'm not sure. I think sure it was about second that. lowest. I think it was, yeah. I think it was 18. So four and a half a game. I think the lowest was 16 in a sweep. So four a game, but still. Okay. Yeah, which is unprecedented. Like you never see that ever, especially from two overpowered teams like the Nets and the Celtics. So really enjoyed the first round. Uh, Memphis is just clutch beyond clutch beyond clutch 20 or four total 20 point comebacks in that series. It's just absolutely ass nine. And then I think they had another 15 point comeback at some point. So they, they, they have grit. It's just when they play these better teams, once they get their lead, we're going to see if they can come back. We're going to see if they can push through and have that same mentality they had against the rebuilding Timberwolves team. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then not to get too much into rebuilding, but the Pelicans, the fact they have the Lakers first round pick this year, and hopefully they can hit Zion with an extension. He said he wants to stay with the Pelicans. So if they can get that extension done and then pick up a really solid prospect with that first overall pick, they have about nine guys they could rotate constantly the entire game who could arguably start on half the teams in the NBA. Yeah. And I said it, I said it a couple months ago when they traded for CJ McCollum, everyone was kind of confused. Why are they doing that? And we see it with the Memphis Grizzlies this year. Obviously they're in a battle of their own series against the golden state warriors right now. But um, you know, that's what the Grizzlies did last year. They won a play. They won both play in games, ended up getting a five game series against the jazz did steal game one out in Utah and ultimately that experience is paying off for them now. I know the, the Pelicans aren't as young of a team. Obviously, you know, guys like CJ McCollum have been to a conference finals before. Brandon Ingram, I think I've seen the playoffs before, but I could even be wrong about that. Um, 
but I mean, they, they have experience. Valanciunas obviously had experience with uh, the Toronto Raptors as well. So a uh, question for you here, and I, I know we're not going to go too much into rebuild next year, but between the, the Timberwolves, obviously we saw what Anthony Edwards could do. He was not the reason that the Timberwolves ultimately lost this series. I know Cat didn't show up in every game. Um, and then we had the Pelicans. Looking into next year, who do you think has a better – or who do you think will have the better record next year? Pelicans. Out west. Pelicans? Pelicans. I, I, it's the fact they started 3-16 and 16 and then almost beat the, the best team in the NBA round oh. one. Like, that's incredible momentum you're getting into next year. No one thought they were even going to even have a shot to get to the play-in, let alone almost win a, a series against the one seed. And not even just the one seed, best seed in the uh, best team in the NBA. Timberwolves were going against a young Grizzlies team that hasn't really done much as a unit in terms of overall success compared to the Suns, the Bucks. 76ers, Raptors, um, other teams as of late who have been super successful, the the Pelicans just went and ran up one of the best teams in the NBA. So I think the Pelicans, with the capital they have and who they're bringing back next year, it's got to be them. I mean, they could be a top five team next year with how loaded this young talent is and how much better they got, not even the second half of the year, but this playoff run, including the play-in, Herb Jones, Jose Valanciunas, um, Trey Murphy, all them working together are incredible to watch. All all rookies too, which is the crazier part. You mean Jose Alvarado? Jose Alvarado, who did I say? Valentunas? You said Jose, yeah. Yeah, I meant Alvarado. My Jose's are all mixed up. Even though it's Jonas Valentunas. Jonas, exactly. <laughs> oh it, it's been a long, long day at work. It's all good. It's all good. We're recording early today so we can watch the Celtics. Yeah, no, I agree with that though. I think I think Pelicans will be up there, especially if Zion's back. No disrespect to the Timberwolves whatsoever. I think Anthony Edwards next year will be an all-star. I, I will say that. He's, like I said, he's proven himself in this league. And obviously having two stars, you see it with, you know, the Bucks with Middleton and on the Kupo, Celtics with the J, uh, the Jays, obviously, the Suns with Booker and Paul. Um, and really the Grizzlies, you can make that argument for a few guys. Desmond Bain had a great series. I think ultimately he had a better series than Ja, you could say. I think, feel like he was more consistent, um, hit some clutch threes. Brandon Clark. Um, their highest PER player throughout the playoffs so far. He had some clutch rebounds. Uh, if Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson just learned how to not foul out of games. Um, yeah. And I mean, they still ultimately won those games, but they're going to need these guys against, against the Warriors. I know Brooks was, was teeter tottering the sixth foul um, towards the end of that Warriors game. But um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, I think Pelicans are going to be going to be a force next year. Um and then just one other series I did want to touch on just super quick from the first round as well. I think it was a more underrated series was that Mavericks jazz series. Yeah. I think the reason I always, the ultimate reason I picked jazz in seven was just because Luca was going to miss two to three games, which he did. And the Mavs went up two one without Luca Jalen Brunson, I think is going to get the bag this year. I don't know if he's going to end up back in Dallas. I think there's going to be a team out there, maybe a small market team that needs a point guard. Who knows? Maybe the Brooklyn Nets, if they don't re-sign Kyrie, him and KD together, um, would be something interesting to watch. But that was an ultimately great series. I think the Jazz have a lot of questions this offseason. Is Donovan Mitchell going to come back? Are they going to trade him? Is Rudy Gobert played his last game in a Jazz uniform? I think one of them is gone. If I had to put my money on it, I would say Gobert. But we'll see what happens this offseason. Yeah, Rudy's denying the rumors that he once one of them traded either him or Donovan Mitchell. But, I mean, you see it on the court, like, especially the second half of the year. They weren't playing, like, the same Jazz team that we saw last year with 
Donovan just being an absolute menace. And I don't know if the injury bug is still hitting him from last year that he hit right at the end of that playoff run, or right at the beginning of that playoff run, and then towards the end of the postseason. Um, Rudy, like, still still solid defender, but I think offensive players are starting to figure him out. His lateral movement's not the best. He's a very up-and-down player. Um, yes, he can guard whoever he wants because he's so lanky and long, but I think teams are figuring out you just got to either outspeed him or just put someone bigger than him on him, which isn't rare in the NBA, someone bigger than Rudy, but he's just so long that if you get a stockier center like Bam Adebayo, they're going to body you up the whole game. So, I don't know. Jazz are going to be an interesting team next year. It's going to be one of those what-could-have-been scenarios, I feel like, possibly boiling here. But I also wouldn't be shocked if they end up back in playoffs and none of these guys leave, and they end up being a good team in the West again. You know, they – they're, were they they were the five seed if I'm not mistaken yeah right? five seed yeah five seed one seed last year five seed this year like the, yeah that's a regression but in the West like that's not that bad especially when you're competing against the Suns who are I, I've said it five times already best team in the NBA clearly um so again we'll we'll have to wait and see on the Jazz I think the jury's still out on that one but I it could go either way or they could stay right where they're at you know I think they're the most unpredictable team going into this next season. Yeah, nah, Gobert, Gobert was exposed defensively. I know a lot of people who didn't like the Mar- – and also, we haven't talked since – or, no, it dropped right after we finished recording last episode with Marcus Smart being announced Defensive Player of the Year. A lot of people didn't like that pick, thought it should have been Rudy Gobert, thought it should have been McCall Bridges. But Gobert showed in that series. I mean, he was getting benched towards big stretches at the end of this game, especially with Luka out, wasn't able to guard all five positions like guys like uh, – Bridges can't really guard the five that well. But Marcus Smart and – Guys like that, Bam Adebayo. So, um, yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Jazz this off season. Yeah, um, definitely. Can but... we talk about Trey Young? Because of course. yeah, he, he uh... need to get him help, man. I I know he's got. I I know he was hurt, but Clint Capella's there. John Collins is there. Um, not Bogdanovich. His Gallinari's there. Gallinari. Like they, they they have weapons there, but I think they need another like just star on that team. Cause those, all those guys are good, but I wouldn't necessarily put them up at the same level as Trey young. Cause the, that series, I will put completely on Trey young because when he was off, the whole team was down and that's when they lost their games. I mean, you look at the games he, they lost. I think the most points he had in the game was 21 and he shot like 27% from the field mm-hmm. and did nothing from three, like for your star player to play that bad. And then you lose because he's playing that bad. Like, they got to get him help or he's got to figure something out. You know, um, I don't, I think the Hawks are a good team and I think they'll be back again next year with the idea that he has some sort of better supporting cast than either guys who can either just play in the paint or shoot threes. They need another threat like him who can get inside and outside. Full take. We were just talking about it. And it's the first name that comes to mind. But what about Donovan Mitchell and him paired up together? I wouldn't hate that. That would be dirty. That would I be pretty That would dirty. be really solid. Yeah, um, I think if Rudy goes there, I don't think it, it's as good as him and Donovan. It, it'd be the same as Trey. I mean, Clint Capella, I think Rudy is better than Clint Capella. Clint Capella is definitely the better offensive player, but mm. um, probably help the defense of the, of the Hawks a little bit. I don't, I know they're not one of the, obviously Trey Young's not one of the, well, Trey Young can guard both sides of the ball, but the team as a whole isn't one of the better defensive teams in, in the NBA. No. So that would help. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, round two, obviously, we've kind of same spot we were in the last time we recorded a regular episode, all game ones in the books. 
um, all the home teams other than the Warriors. Um, but that was a very close game to the end, uh, winning there. Or excuse me, actually, wait, the Bucks were not. What am I fucking saying? Bucks did not have home court advantage either. But it, it felt like it the way the Celtics shot the ball in Game One. Um, probably, and this isn't an exaggeration by any means. The worst shooting performance by the Celtics of all time, potentially making the least amount of two pointers they've made in franchise history. Um, not a bad percentage from three, obviously not a great percentage. I think they were 18 of 49, which is roughly around the 35% mark, which isn't going to lose you any games. I know Jordan, you were at a game where they shot four 42 from three. So obviously yeah. better than that. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was probably the worst offensive game the Celtics have had. I know Stephen A. Smith said, at halftime, he wanted to change his pick because the Celtics didn't have an answer for Giannis. I don't really know. Obviously, Giannis was great. He was distributing the ball really well. I believe he had 12 assists, obviously 13 rebounds, which you're going to get when the Celtics are missing at that high of a percentage. Um, so his second career playoff triple-double. But still, from the field, shot under 40%, was 9 of 25, so right at 38%. Didn't make a single three-pointer shot a little bit over 50% from the line. So wasn't a dominating game by Giannis by any means. Obviously, Drew Holiday, 25 points, their leading scorer. Um, Grayson Allen had a stretch there where he hit two or three threes in a row, I believe. And he didn't um, hit anyone. And he didn't hit anyone. That is true. Um, <laughs> Bobby Portis obviously came up big for them. I mean, they were really just hitting their shots, and the Celtics weren't. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, you look at it, the Buck shot 41% from the field. Celtics shot, I believe it was, yeah, 33%. You're not going to win a playoff game with that. So I think the Celtics defense is still great, obviously, with Marcus Smart out tonight. That's going to be a challenge. I assume we're going to see Derek White in the starting lineup, and I don't love that. I, I could see Ime going Pritchard, but you're still going to see more Derek White than normal. I don't know, maybe if you see a guy like Neesmith get some more minutes. Um, because I don't know, Ty Tyson didn't play too much at the end of the game. I think Grant Williams is probably, again, their second or third best player the other get, uh, the other day because Jalen Brown, I think, is still injured. I think I said it to you, Jordan. He short-rimmed every three that he took. He was not driving to the hoop at all, and I think it's the hamstring. I think he's not getting his legs under the shots. Um, they didn't really put him on Giannis much either, which I feel like you would see him in that rotation on Giannis. So hopefully he's okay tonight. Um, and yeah, it's, it's going to be a battle tonight again, kind of as it was in, in game one, we just, I don't know, we just need to make our fucking shots. That's really all it is. Yeah. The, I was going to say to your point about Jalen Brown still being hurt. It just seems like whenever I watch him play, like he's just, and, and I say this without an extensive basketball knowledge, he looks just above mediocre whenever I watch him play. Granted, I don't watch every single Celtics game. Yes, his shooting percentage is solid for what he does and how, his volume that he takes. But whenever I watch him, it just seems like he's getting open shots. It's it's, it's either short or it's far. But then when he drills it, he, he's on and then he goes on runs. You know what I mean? And I think that's, you know, that's where he makes his money is getting on runs and getting hot, him and Tatum together. Um, but just from watching him, it just looks like it, Tatum has the opposite problem where Tatum will take stupid shots every now and again, but he'll drain the stupid shots, you know? Yeah. Um, Brown will take smart shots and miss, you know? And it's like, it's, it's two funny polar opposites where it could be an injury thing. That's bugging Jalen down. And that's the reason why he hasn't been producing. Like, yeah, he'll have big point nights every once in a while, but overall consistency wise, I would say out of the whole starting lineup on the Celtics, he's the least consistent player. Uh, yeah, I would. Mm. 
I, it's actually kind of hard to tell who the least consistent player would be yeah. right now at this point in time. I mean, he was great in the net series. He averaged, yeah. he scored over 22 points in every game. He was clutch in the fourth quarter. I believe in game two, he had 12 or 14 points just in the fourth quarter alone. Yeah. Um, obviously after Jason Tatum fouled out in game four, he made some clutch buckets there game one. He had a clutch layup right before the Tatum buzzer beater to set that up. Um, so I think he's been great. Like I said, I think it's just the, the injury bug right now is getting to him. He had seven turnovers in game one, obviously his handles. I think that's a big thing for someone that doesn't watch him so much. You see his handles. He's not the best with handling the basketball and that's going to be huge tonight with Marcus out. They are going to need to swing the ball. Tatum's going to need to be a better passer. I, I know he's gotten better throughout this year, but definitely than he was in game one and really his team was in game one. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope he's not injured still, but I mean, it's the playoffs. You're going to have to kind of rub it off at this point. And, and like I said, hopefully, hopefully, I guess the, the good thing I know I complained about it the other day is that we have four days between tonight and then game three is not till Saturday. Yeah. Um, so that'll obviously give Marcus, that'll give the whole team really some time to rest and recover. But if we're down Oh, two going into Milwaukee, I'm not going to say it's over with this Celtics team and, and the resilience they've shown this year, but it's obviously going to be an uphill battle from there. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah. The, yeah. It's and again, it feels like it's every series, but whoever whoever can win game two, like it's going to change the entire series. You yeah. Know, game one, you can lose. Game two, it's you know, yeah. shit hits the fan. You gotta you gotta figure your shit out. You game know? one, yeah. Game especially with the Bucks, and we saw this in the Chicago series. We saw this last year with them going down 0-2 twice in the playoffs to two really good a Brooklyn Nets team and a really good Suns team. Um, the net, and we saw it in, I mean, in that, that bull series, there was a good chance they could have been down Oh, two going back into Chicago. And then games three and four in Chicago, they blew them out of the water game five. Obviously Zach Levine was out. Alex Caruso had a nagging injury. So, um, they ultimately ended up blowing them out there, but the bucks get better as series go on where I, and I'm not going to say the Celtics get worse because that necessarily, they, they played their best game in game three against the nets, but, um, it's it's gonna be a challenge. We gotta to win tonight. It's it's oh. a must-win game. I think it's a must-win game. I think if Derek White's off, I think if Peyton Pritchard's off, I think if Jalen Brown's off, you gotta figure something out. You gotta you might have to go three bigs. You might have to put Grant Williams at the three tonight. Um, you know, and, and go tall and go big and and figure it out. You might need Tice to play some some clutch minutes down the stretch. Who knows? You just gotta ride the hot hand at this point, yeah. which has been Tatum and Al Horford ultimately. Literally, Al Horford's been unreal. Yeah, this playoff run. Yeah. But uh, yeah, speaking of speaking of Horford, though, his old team, Philly, I know uh, I was personally I was watching the Bruins game last night, got blown out five one in game one of the playoffs in the NHL. But um, I was flipping back and forth a little bit. Philly played a, a had a good run at the end of the first half and then just kind of fell apart. It looked like Harden didn't really do much. Yeah, it's when it beats not on the court, it's going to take all of them to all have good games. If, and speaking of the starting lineup, Elise, if the starters, if any of them have a bad game, it's going to be a loss. When Embiid's there, he can make up for bad games and he can take on some of that pressure. When he's not on the court, I mean, look at Niang. He was awful. I think he shot, what, 2 of 12, 2 of 14? Something like that. He shot terribly coming in for um, Embiid there. And then Tyrese had, was decent from what I saw. Like you said, Harden, not the best. Tobias is Tobias. He's going to be up and down. Um but overall, like it's, I'm not worried because once Embiid comes back, it'll definitely be a contest. But just like your point about the Celtics, we have to win game two and we have to go in. We have to 
I mean, Kyle Lowry is going to be out for game two, which is going to give us, you know, hopefully some more points on our side. But again, we don't, I don't see us getting swept and I don't see us losing in five. No. But if we don't win game two, it's going to be very tough for us to win the series. We're going to have to, obviously you have to win four to one, but then you have an Embiid who hasn't played in two games and honestly didn't have the best first series against the Raptors, except when they won. Um, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Harden's going to have to step up and be the superstar that he normally is. Not normally, but, you know, used to be. Um, and Tyrese has just got to keep climbing the ladder. If those two can both have a good night and then everyone else can do their thing, I think they have a shot. Especially now that we have uh, Matisse back from after that Toronto series. You know, that's super beneficial for the defensive side of the ball. But I, uh, the yeah. Heat are just such a good team. You know. Yeah, Heat are Heat and Celtics, and probably you can even throw the Bucks in there. Are probably the three three of the better defensive teams in the NBA. Maybe mix the Suns in there as well. Um, but yeah, James Harden. So I have his playoff stats so far, including last night, eighteen point six points per game. Which, meh. Um, I know you have you have Embiid out there for a lot of those games, but he couldn't even drop over twenty last night. Maxi and Tobias Harris both outscoring him um 9.4 assists per game which is solid but shooting only about 40 percent from the field and 36 percent from three and averaging almost four turnovers a game which tough to do i know for the amount of touches he's getting you're gonna turn the ball over but um gonna be tough there um i, mean, I want to quarter isn't bad but it's like there's other guys turning the ball over too like... yeah yeah and you're playing like i said now you're playing teams like the heat that that feed off of those you know transition points teams like the Bucks, teams like the Celtics, which, you know, we didn't see the Celtics do the other day, but, um, you know, you're going to get that. And then you shoot 17% from three as well. You're not going to win a basketball game against the Heat um, doing that. I want to get your opinion real quick, too, on DeAndre Jordan starting. He had in, I think he played in one minute of game one, um, or game, maybe it was game two or game three um, in the Toronto series. Um, and then Doc Rivers said he's going to stick with him because, quote, that's what the players want. I want to get your opinion on that just because I know, like, I get, I know they mentioned Paul Millsap potentially starting. Um, I mean, the Yang obviously didn't have a great game, but what do you think about uh, DeAndre Jordan getting the start? I, I'm torn because to your point, he was barely playing, you know, and now he's starting. And again, there's sometimes starters will start, but they only play 15, 20 minutes a game. Um, I think, if he can get into rhythm, it'll be fine, but he's not Joel Embiid. He's going to be good defensively, but offensively, like if he's not right in the paint and he's, and he can't dunk over a guy, he's not going to contribute. And do you want that taking up 20 minutes of gameplay? You know, yeah. when you put someone else in like Millsap who can score, um, like Niang with when he plays well, can score, you know what I mean? Obviously that's a redundant statement, but still like, there are guys in the league that when they're on, you can be on without scoring, but there are guys who have to score in order to be on. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a Niang type. That's a DeAndre Jordan type. Millsap is kind of that tweener who could, even if he's not scoring, could still play well and have the team play better because of it. So I don't know. It's again, it's one game. It was the first game without Embiid since he got COVID and had his leg injury earlier in the year. And the Sixers have been on a tear since he came back. So I think it was just kind of a comeback down to earth moment for the Sixers. Like, yeah, like this was our first game without him since the first quarter of the season, you know? So now they can go in, regroup to game two. 
They'll have the help of Lowry being out, but it, it's going to come down to Harden and Maxi just playing lights out. You know, like to your point, Harden's supposed to be a superstar, not even putting up twenty points a game. Like yes. he's at least in the playoff run. You know, and and, and besides the first ten games with Philly, he, he's been dog shit since then too. At least comparative to the rest of his career. Yeah. So I don't know. I I don't mind him starting, but I also think. If he's going to start, we got to rotate pieces. He can't just be the dude in there for 30, 40 minutes a game, which I doubt they will do that. Nah, he, I, w- I will throw out this stat. He played 17 minutes in game one, minus 22 rating. Bam out of bio and double that time in 34 minutes, plus 26 rating, which was second highest on the heat, one oh. behind um, McCall Strauss. So. Rating or plus minus? Plus minus, so plus 26 uh for bam and then minus 22 for deandre jordan i was gonna say because you saw andre drummond had like a negative 20.9 overall rating for this yeah and that's why claxton played a lot of that series and i'm glad he did because claxton's probably the better player right now but uh i mean they're both pretty shitty free throw shooters but i don't think anyone will ever be as bad as nick claxton um and then warriors grizzlies obviously i think I don't want to say this is going to be the most entertaining series just based off of one game. I mean, obviously it was a one point game. Clay missed some clutch free throws down at the end, but got to give credit where credit's due. Um, got to give credit where credit's due in terms of Otto Porter, or excuse me, Otto Porter, Jordan Poole, just been still doing what he's doing. I believe he had 31 points off the bench in, uh, in, in game one for the Warriors, ultimately, uh, Steph had some clutch shots at the end there, and it was just a great game all around. But I know you you took a fat nap during that game. Yeah, no, I was. Um, for those that don't know, I was dropping off my fiance at the uh, at the airport. I had to be up at four in the morning, and then I worked right after, and then I took my dog to the park because it was her birthday Sunday. So my my Sunday afternoon after I got back consisted of a hard nap until like what eight o'clock at night or something like that something when you text me yeah yeah i woke up i was like dude i just (laughs) that nap um but yeah i i don't want to call the series obviously it's one nothing most entertaining like you were saying but jaw had so many more options other than taking that layup there like he, he had both corners open and he had someone driving into the paint behind him who could I obviously you get tunnel vision like you're the star mm-hmm. on the team you want to make those plays totally understand that and respect that that's a growing thing for him like anyone that's watched the last dance Michael Jordan episode four or five is like I had to start trusting my teammates and getting them the ball more and stop being the superstar of the team like I have teammates let me use them and I think that's that's going to be a play for job when he gets into year four he's going to look at that and be like okay that's where i can grow that's where i can get better which is crazy that Ja, as an offensive player we can say he's going to get better and he yeah. can get better because that's a play right there that can happen multiple times a season and obviously in a playoff run where if he makes a different decision that's a different outcome for them you know what i mean or it could be the same outcome who knows but yeah. um i just think that's the, the fact that we can say Ja, as great of a player he is already, can improve in situations like that just goes to show how great this player is going to be. Definitely, definitely. And he took a couple questionable threes, um, you know, down the stretch of that game. Still had 10 assists, though. So passing was still there. It was one rebound shy of a triple-double. And if you're Taylor Jenkins, too, maybe you do have to call up a different play there. Maybe you run that play and, like you said, tell Ja to kick it out to the corner um and do that and maybe taylor jenkins told him that we just don't know that but 
Um, no, yeah, it's going to be, I think, I know we both had, you had Warriors in five, right? And I believe yeah, I did as well. I, I know probably after game ones, I, I'm not changing any of my picks. I think maybe the Warriors in six, I will say, maybe the Warriors in six, maybe the Suns in five, something along those lines. I still think Celtics in six. I was expecting to lose one at home. Um, so hopefully we fucking win tonight. But I was expecting a 2-2 series after game six. Philly and, and Miami, I'm expecting I'm expecting a 2-2 series after four games as well. So um, not really too many changes I would be making. I don't know if you have anything on the Suns. I know we kind of just touched on them a little bit earlier, but um, obviously just kind of blowing the Mavs out from the start. It was hard for the Mavs to really get any kind of constant flow going. Um, I know the score makes it look a lot closer than it was, but they were up 27, 28 going into the fourth quarter. So, um, yeah, so so I, I, I think after round one and game one of the second round, I know I've been saying Celtics going to win it all, but right now what's watching the Suns, I, I don't know how I couldn't, but you never know. You never know. Still going to keep my faith. Still going to keep my faith. It's going to be Celtics Suns, Celtics Suns finals. And it's the thing is, it's going to be crazy when Devin Booker gets back to form because he, I mean, the past two games since coming back, he's shooting 37 and a half percent from field, less than 20% from three, averaging 18 a game. Yes, it's only two games, but once he gets rolling, this series is over. I don't think once Devin Booker gets hot, as long as Chris Paul, McCall, and uh, Jay Crowder and Aiden play the way they've been playing, um, and they get help from. Cam Johnson and Cameron Payne, it's just it's over. Yeah. I don't see I don't see Mavericks coming back. Yes, Luke is awesome and Jalen Brusson's been great too, but I don't see I don't see them ever recovering against a team like the Suns with how good they have played, considering how bad Booker has been the past two games. Not even bad. I mean thirteen and twenty three is not bad at all, but by his standard, you know. And eight of those points in the in game one were from free throws. Yeah, so and he made a good amount of those shots in the fourth. Er, excuse me, in the first quarter as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think I really saw him miss much in the first quarter. So. No. <laughs> um, and he like and he he's but that's what he's good at. He's good at getting out the hot starts, not letting teams get back in the game. It's it's kind of like the Bucks. You get down against one of these defensive teams. You get down against the Celtics. You get down against the Heat. It's tough to come back, and that's what that's what championship teams do. I mean, I know they they the league is so high powered on offense now there's obviously more offensive firepower than ever before but i think ultimately the team that wins it all this year it's going to be based on that defense and they're going to get these leads and they're not going to blow them even if they go on cold stretches defensively they're just going to maintain and and not let teams get hot so facts cool awesome well that I think kind of wraps it up with what we had for NBA talk. I'm trying to look at the calendar. Next time we'll be recording, we'll be right before the conference finals kickoff. So um, looking forward to the rest of these series. It's going to be some, some great series. Um, I know we've given a lot of attention to football lately, so let, let's do some baseball talk. Please uh, take it easy on me. I'm a, I'm a poor little Red Sox fan over here. Just <laughs> it's, it's crazy. What, what the, the shittiest part is all I'm going to say is, and it, it, I feel like it's pretty obvious it's the hitting, like it's the offense. Like if we were losing games right now, like 10 to eight or like 14 to 11 or shit like that, and be like, yeah, you know, that's what we get. We didn't really make many improvements in the bullpen. We really didn't add any starting pitching this off season um, or really true aces or, or true bullpen weapons, but we added Trevor story and we, 
traded Hunter Renfro for Jackie Bradley Jr., which obviously wasn't an offensive upgrade in any means. And we thought Bobby Dahlbeck was going to bounce back, you know, and have that great two-month stretch he had at the end of last year. And just so far, other than Bogarts, Devers, and really J.D. Martinez, nobody else is doing anything. So that's my two cents on the Red Sox. I'm not going to even sit here. We have, like, one of the highest expected batting averages in baseball, but I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for that because we just got to we gotta figure it out. Yeah, I it's... I mean, even from that first series, you know, like they were competing against the Yankees and the Yankees are now a team that are sitting at the top of the entire MLB. So I don't know where the shift happened, where they just stopped. I I mean, they started both those games. The first two games they started up, they got what, four runs in the first four innings in both games when we first played each other. Like there's at least from what I remember. um, So I don't know where the disconnect's happening now that they're going and playing teams that aren't as good as the Yankees. I mean, our team's both getting rocked by the Orioles. You know, it's, hmm. we, I think it's, it's one of those, it's a new team, figure it out. Kind of like the Yankees last year. Like we had a couple new faces, figured it out, let it build up. We had the worst record we've ever had in franchise history through 16 games. And then we got to playoffs. Like it could be the same exact thing for you guys. And guess what? The fact that pitching isn't your problem after it's been the problem for the Red Sox the past few years, that's a very good sign. Cause once the batting figures it out, they're the best team in the MLB. Like if they were hitting at the same rate as the average MLB team, they'd be the best team in the MLB. No question. So yeah. it's just one of those things that we're just going to have to wait and see with the Red Sox. Yeah. My biggest worry with them though, is just that the pitching doesn't continue to stay as hot as they are. I know we kind of, obviously we have James Paxton who might be coming back from injury at some point in the midsummer. Chris sale is obviously on the 60 day IL. So we've had, I mean, Garrett Willock's been great. Um, I kind of wish we could just pick a role for him though. Is he going to be the long relief guy? Is he going to be the closer or is he going to be a starter? Um, came out of the bullpen in that Baltimore series, but I think he'll be back in the starting road. Like there's just a lot of what ifs, but Michael Walker has been great. Nathan Avaldi has been solid. I mean, he had a really good start in Baltimore. Um, the bullpen ended up blowing for him, but when you only get one run of, of run support, you can't rely on your mediocre bullpen. That's actually been pitching pretty well to be holding these one or two run leads. You know, if we were blowing seven or eight run leads, it's a different story, but yeah. um, not enough on the Red Sox. I'll give the Yankees their credit and Anthony Rizzo's league leader in home runs right now. The pitching, yeah, like he, you said, is kind of, kind of rough to start. Game. Garrett Cole got rocked pretty early, but. Yeah. I was going to say, cause Rizzo hits over little league wall. Yeah, <laughs> at least you admitted it. I didn't say it. It's, yeah, like home field advantage. Great. He hits over a 290-foot wall. Like, yeah, it says 300. That shit's – he literally slaps the ball, and it arcs and goes right over. Like, I, I bet any high schooler can hit a home run over that wall. So far, you know? I would hope so. <laughs> so, I mean, but uh, I digress. It's uh, – the Yankees have been playing great. Um, pitching's been really solid. Garrett Cole seems like he's sort of figured it out from here. Michael King is just a freak. Um, I hope he gets slated into the starting lineup, um, but you know we'll we'll see what happens with him. But obviously Rizzo's been playing great. Stanton's gotten hot as of late. Stanton in the outfield has been way above expectations. He's been playing really well there. Um, Joey Gallo doing Joey Gallo things as per usual, and and shockingly enough, our offense is performing better without Gary Sanchez. Which, yeah. Yeah, I don't think any Yankee fan is shocked by that. Um, there are a lot of Yankee fans that didn't like to see him go because they liked him as a person and as the personality he brought to the team and the big bat power he has. 
but there's a clear night and day difference between Higashioka's hitting and his hitting and the fact that we offensively are playing so much better than we were at any point last year, even in our highest, highest highs last season. You know, I think a lot of that has to do, you're putting someone in the lineup who's actually competent contact hitter rather than trying to slug everything that comes his way. Yeah. Well, let's try. I mean, you guys are first in the first in the AL and homers, but you're third in batting average, which I feel like you guys haven't been up there in batting average in, in quite some time. No. Um, so, and that's with, I think the only guy hitting over 300 in the starting lineup right now is, uh, Kind of falafel, falafel. I was calling falafel just because. <laughs> um, and I mean, Judge is right there at two ninety eight, so it's not like he's you know it's still early in the year. Definitely, Judge could be up there, and Judge is in a contract year, so um, expect big things from him because, like I said, he's in a contract year. Um, same thing with us and Xander Bogarts though, because he's probably going to end up opting out after this year. So. I mean, and here's the good: he's tied for second in the MLB with home runs. You know, yeah. he's above Vladdy, who besides that three home run game against the Yankees hasn't really done much. He has three home runs the other 22 games of the season, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, and Judge did not start off hot at all by any means. He finally put the pieces together and figured it out. So, you know, again, it's like, I don't, I don't want to praise them too much because last year we saw what happened and they got hot at the end. And then now this year they're already hot, but I, and we, we looked at this roster before the year. This didn't look like a roster that could sustain success for long periods of time. They've yeah. done it at the start of the year, but who's to say that changes? You know, who's to say Rizzo's bat stops popping off the way it is? Let's say he stops hitting over our easy fucking wall in the outfield. You know what I mean? Like, if, if those balls fall short, then a lot of the ball games are different right now. We're the middle of the pack team in the AL East at least. Um, but I, I can't complain. We're, we're best team in the MLB. We're – uh, at least wins and losses wise. Um, but I, again, I won't be shocked if we slip at some point in the next few weeks. So. Yeah, no, it's early. I mean, the Red Sox, they, they had a tough, like, I mean, we've already played Tampa. We've played Toronto. We've played the Yankees. We played Minnesota. Who's actually been a really good team. I, I actually did want to touch on them a little bit because I've yeah. been able to catch some of their games. And um, for a, for a team that, uh, that really kind of fell off last year after winning back-to-back division titles, one of the better offenses in baseball, trading guys, veteran presences like Donaldson, um, get like flipping Kiner Falefa for Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez. They've been really one of the, I mean, obviously the best team in the AL Central right now, one of the better teams in the American League. Joe Ryan, young, young, he's not a rookie, but he's 25 years old. He's had a great year. Dylan Bundy, Chris Archer, guys that, we thought kind of we're just past their prime have had solid starts in their first four starts. Um, both have under eight ERAs, just a little bit under three. So I don't know, again, if that's going to be sustainable for the whole season, but it's good to see them starting off hot. Chris Paddock, who was traded over from the Padres, who kind of people thought was an afterthought, still only 25 years old as well. I thought he was older, but um, you know, he's been really solid. And then obviously the bullpen Emilio Pagan, um, I think has been listed as their closer. He's been really good. Um, uh, Joan Duran's been really good as well with a, with a whip under, with a whip under one. Um, and then Joe Smith as well, who I think was in Cleveland for quite some time has had, has had some good, good, um, good appearances as well. Offense hasn't been crazy, but really the biggest thing with the twins, you just got to keep Byron Buxton healthy. They signed him to that massive extension, seven years, a hundred million dollars. Um, you know, he's had a solid start to the year already has seven home runs and, it's just fun. It's fun. It's more fun to watch the twins when Byron Buxton's playing. I know oh, Correa has been kind of, was that? He's unreal. 
No, he's great. He's one of the, I think he, if he could stay healthy, he would probably be a top five or top 10 MVP candidate every year. Cause he can hit for power. He's a five tool player. He's kind of like Mookie Betts. He can hit for power. He can steal bases. He drives in runs. He has a great glove. He's a great arm. Um, yeah. And not that, like I said, not that Carlos Correa has been a world beater or anything like that with the twins, but you know, maybe having that veteran presence there, having that playoff experience there in him, um, Gio Urshela, Gary Sanchez, who were on playoff bound Yankee teams. I mean, just having those guys there, it doesn't hurt by any means to have those guys there. So I think the White Sox are going to bounce back. I don't think they're going to be this bad for the whole season. Um, we see, I mean, I know they've had their fair share of injuries to Anderson with some suspensions. I think it's Jimenez is out for four to six weeks again, where I, him and Robert, I feel like can never just stay on the field at the same time, but it's a good start. It's a promising start if you're a Twins fan. They have that extra playoff team this year. So starting out hot early, obviously it's not going to determine your season or anything along those lines, but it's going to help in, help in the long run because we saw how close it came in the American League last year between the Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays, and Mariners. So, yeah. um, you know, every game does matter. I know, again, still relatively early, but. Yeah, but still. I mean, look at last year. those That early series against the Orioles for the Yankees, that was the difference between us playing at the Bronx or playing at Fenway. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, exactly. obviously had its ramifications, you know. Very much so. Very much so. Um, about, I'm gonna say his name wrong. Jazz Chisholm. Uh, Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, I, I had him. I had his name jotted down here. He's oh just, my god, he's so excited. My favorite thing about Jazz, though, so I, and the Marlins are out. You know, 12 and 10, respectable record to get started here. Um, my favorite thing about Jazz, though, is that like. You see what he does. You see the ant or the quote unquote antics, even though I think it's just great, especially for a team like the Marlins that don't really get a lot of national attention, if any at all. Um, Jazz Chisholm right now, again, I know it's early, is seventh in the MLB in OPS. So he actually is producing as well. And kind of like kind of like the Fernando Tatis, like walking the walk, talking the talk. He's a higher OPS than Anthony Rizzo and Aaron Judge right now. Um so, I mean, he's hitting for, he's hitting for power. He's hitting for average. He's getting on base. Um, you know, he's, he's a fun player to watch. And I hope, I hope it continues. He's going to become everyone's favorite player. I feel like, cause you can't hate the guy right now. Oh, his energy is unreal. I mean, like I, I thought with Tatis out, like there would be like, a, like obviously Mike Trout's been incredible since he's come back and he's yeah. been the face of baseball for the better part of a decade, you know? So it's like, yeah, you have familiarity there, but you don't have a guy that like brings a lot of swag. Jazz has been that dude that just brings that heightness to his play and can back it up. I mean, right now he's on pace for 27 triples, which <laughs> besides the early, the very early 1900s and late 1800s, the most triples ever in a season was Curtis Granderson with 23 in 2007. You know, yeah. obviously that's not the most ever, but some of the dates, I mean, 1949, someone had 23. Um, and I think the the guy who got 36 triples, Chief Wilson, 1912, yeah. you know, over a, a century ago. You know, so it's like all these guys that are on the top of the leaderboard for triples played when, you know, the, the fields were... 450 feet out you know what i mean so it, it was a completely different ball game back then much easier to get triples yeah um, so in today's mlb like to even hit over 20 is just unreal curtis granderson at least from what i'm seeing here is the only one in the 2000s to ever hit over 20 triples in the season so christian guzman and jimmy rollins 2007 2000 both had 20. Um, okay but other than that three guys in the past century have hit over 20 triples, you know? So it's like, or sorry, past 50 years, I should say. 
I've my favorite close triples. My favorite part about that Granderson stat is I remember that season. He was one. Of, I don't know if he was the first ever, but I think it may have been the first ever because when guys were hitting 20 triples a season on average, they weren't hitting 20 homers. Granderson had 20 triples, 20, over 20, over. Tr- that's a tongue twister there. Over 20 yeah. <laughs> triples, uh, over 20 doubles, over 20 stolen bases, and then over 20 homers as well. Jazz, I think, would be on pace for that with the three triples, four doubles, four homers, and then I think yeah. four stolen bases. So that, that that's an interesting thing. He's to on see. pace I, for that, 100%. I, I, would, I would love to see that, especially like – and Granderson at the same time. I think Detroit had just been to the World Series the year before, and that was Granderson's rookie year in 06. Um, and you saw him as a Yankee. He was an exciting young player, had a good arm. He could hit awesome. for power. Um, you know, a lot, lot, of, lot of tools there, kind of similar to – maybe not the same as Byron Buxton, but um, very similar player to Jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Jazz has the energy there. Um, and then one other thing, too, just in terms of players I want to give credit to, Jose Ramirez with 28 RBIs already in just 22 games. He signed a huge extension in Cleveland, which I think a lot of people were shocked about. We were seeing maybe where the Yankees going to trade for him. The Red Sox had been rumored to move him over to second base before they signed Trevor Story. I think the Dodgers were thrown into the mix. The Padres, like, I feel like every team we heard had some interest. The Cardinals, maybe. And he signs this huge extension. Money well deserved for him. And it, it kind of goes to show, I, I know we've all been shitting on Cleveland that they're not a baseball franchise. They don't want to spend money. They traded Lindor. They, we think they're going to trade Shane Bieber. Um, and it, it, it's just, I'm happy to see that. I don't think as Cleveland, I mean, they just swept Oakland, who's just been kind of mad. And I haven't really been watching too many Cleveland Guardians games, 10 and 12, probably not going to make a run at the playoffs, but just want to give Jose Ramirez the credit there. Cause I think he's one of the, I think he is a top 10 hitter in baseball, maybe even a top five hitter in baseball over the last five, six years. And just someone that we don't talk about enough because Cleveland doesn't get the recognition. Yeah. hundred percent. And right now he's third in OPS with 1.128 there. He's behind Mike Trout and Taylor Ward, who now that it looks like he's been thrusted into the starting lineup for the Dodgers is having an incredible year. He's played less than half the season and, mm-hmm. and most seasons less than a quarter of the season throughout the first couple of years in the MLB for him. But now that he's a starter, he has been lights out. He leads the league in batting average too. He has a 390, um, which is absolutely absurd for a player like him to have. But going back to Jose, only nine strikeouts to your point, 28 RBIs. He, he's just an, he's been an all around great player this year. Um, you hit everything perfectly on the head. So 28 and 22 games is nothing to be ashamed of whatsoever. That's a very, very good rate. Um, that he is there. I mean, that's a 200 RBI season, you know, you know, obviously numbers are numbers. Chandler Jones is on pace for what 80 something sacks and ended up with only 10 after week one. Um, So yeah, but it's the same argument here, but still baseball is the fact they've got 22 games and they're still playing this well, like that bodes well for the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. And then last but not least, just have to touch on it again. If we touched on it with the Yankees, the Mets just off to a ridiculously hot start as well. Neither of us had them making the playoffs just because we thought it was going to be the same thing every year. I think last year you may have had them making the playoffs um, and I didn't have them too far out. Um, Obviously getting Max Scherzer trading for Chris Bassett, Taylor, or I think it's Taylor McGill. I don't know if it's Tyler McGill, I believe. Um, but all of them have been off the hot starts. I mean, Taiwan Walker's only pitched in two games, but 
Um, he's looked good. Edwin Diaz out of the bullpen has not been blowing games super often. Seth Lugo, I know, has been a name that has been inconsistent. Uh, they reset or they signed Adam Adovino from the Red Sox. So um, they've been solid there. And then obviously the offense, it seems like everyone's just been out to a pretty decent start. Um, you know, Lindor, no, no one's really lights out other than maybe Jeff McNeil hitting 360 early in the season, yeah. but still everyone's been pretty consistent. Pete Alonzo, you know, going to drive in runs, hit bombs, Starling Marte. You'd like to see that average get up a little bit and I'm sure it will. Brandon Nimmo's one of the better defensive center fielders in the league. I think, uh, I think people forget about that and, and seeing him Eduardo Escobar obviously was with the, that Brewers team last year that, you know, won the division and tried to make a run. So, um, who knows? Maybe I was wrong about the Mets. They've been doing this all without Jacob DeGrom. So I hope for his sake, he can get healthy and help this team out. Um, but again, early in the season, we'll see. I know the Braves haven't been off to the hard, hottest start. The Phillies haven't been off to the hot, hottest start, mainly losing to the Mets in two series already, but um, still early, but it's a good, it's a good sign if you're a Mets fan, but also yeah. if you're a Mets fan, you can say we've seen this before. Yeah. Also, I want to point out Mark Hanna. He's in the top 40 for OPS. He's out of Kyle Schwarber, Matt Olson, Alec Bohm, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Lindor, his teammate, LeMahieu. Like, there, there's a bunch of big names that he's ahead of in OPS. You know, he's only played in 17, but out of what their 22, 23 possible games, you know, that's not bad whatsoever. Um, yeah. So, the, the, to, to your point, there's a bunch of guys on the team who are relatively not no names, but like aren't as well known as some of the other players on that roster that have, again, exceeded expectations and have played really well. Um, a bunch of my buddies are Mets fans from back home, and every night we're on Call of Duty, they're talking about how good the friggin' Mets are playing. One of my best friends, he owns season tickets to the Mets, and he's been going every other night to their home games, and he's he says the energy is – he hasn't seen that energy at Mets games at all in his life, and he says it's a completely different atmosphere than any other time. So um, the fans are involved – the team is obviously looking really sharp as of late. Um, so, again, we'll see. Both New York teams could collapse. But um, yeah. I shared a stat with Jack the other day. It was, I think, five or six days ago, maybe sooner than that. I think it's still true. It still holds true today. I was looking at the standings. So. Yeah. so, it is the first time in MLB history where both New York teams and both Los Angeles teams are at the top of their divisions. So, which is pretty crazy. wild. That is crazy. <laughs> that it's the first time ever in MLB history that happened. Yeah. So, but. Uh, um, yeah. So, awesome. Um, one thing baseball related to Jordan, and I think I'd get your permission from this, but I want to get the TikTok page running back up. And I, I think maybe no, no better way. I'm going to, I'm supposed to be going to the Sox tomorrow. We'll see if that happens, but I'll definitely be there on Saturday. Um, and then obviously I'm doing my, my California and Seattle road trip, um, coming in June. So I think I'm going to do some ballpark reviews on that TikTok. So, um, if you're cool with it, I'd love to get it going on the podcast page. Cause I think it would just be awesome. I'll be in Oakland for, I'll be Oakland, both LA stadiums, uh, San Diego, San Francisco, which I've heard is one of the nicest parts in all of baseball. And then I'll be up in Seattle as well. Also might be doing some football stadium tours. I know I'm definitely going to SoFi. Um, and I am probably going to check out quest field in Seattle. Cause I have a whole day to kill in Seattle before my flight back to Boston. So, yeah. um, and then maybe who knows, maybe if I can, can finagle it in San Francisco, we'll see. But, um, and if I do, if we do get that Celtics warriors finals, I won't be going to the game, but who knows, maybe I can, maybe I can catch a game from outside Oracle arena and, and, uh, 
can get that. Maybe I can head to the crypto center as well. Cause it's, it's <laughs> definitely going to be a fun, definitely gonna be a fun trip, but I think I'd love to get it going on the TikTok page. Cause uh, yeah, I think it'd be cool no, to share with that. everyone. You should get that going. Last yeah. thing MLB I want to talk about, unless you had something else you want to no. do. Um, can we talk about Angel Hernandez? Oh, okay. I was going to bring it up too, but then I didn't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out Kyle Schwarber. I tweeted it. He's my favorite Philadelphia athlete ever <laughs> since he left the Red Sox, but he just showed it. I mean, he, he said what every manager, every player, every fan, and probably other umpires were thinking too. Um, yeah, and then we see in later in the week the ump scorecard Twitter page tweeting two guys had, were, or two umpires were each one pitch away from pretty much a perfect game. So for the robot up ump people out there, it can be done. Umpires can be near perfect. Obviously, it's it's part of the human element of the game, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I just want to bring up some, um, some stats from that iconic Brewers Phillies game. Also, mm-hmm. I want to touch on what Jeff Passon shared yesterday about it. Um, so according to um scorecards, it's a website and a Twitter account. They give grades for every single umpire for every single game, kind of like PFF, but for umpires, which is kind of cool. Um, so Basically, there's two metrics they use. They use accuracy, which is how accurate you are with the actual strike zone, and then consistency, which is your accuracy inside your estimated strike zone or the estimated umpire strike zone. So let's say an umpire is calling outside pitches more often strikes and inside pitches more often balls, even though they're in the strike zone. As long as he stays within his estimated strike zone, he could have a hundred percent consistency rating, even though it's not necessarily a high accuracy rating overall with the actual strike zone. Does that make sense, Jack? Yeah. Cool. So the MLB average for both is 94%. So obviously three points down from a hundred, I would say a spectacular game is 97%. And then I would say obviously a below average game is 91%. You know, if you have a 91% accuracy rate, like that's not great at all by any means. You could say it's bad. Angel Hernandez. In that Brewers game, 88% accuracy, 88% consistency. He had five of the 81 called balls were true strikes, so five pitches wrong there. And then 11 of the 48 called strikes were true balls. He had a 77% called strike accuracy. That is just abysmal. And then, of course, the most impactful ones were the strikes that were called, especially that last one on Schwarber, which there's a pitch in that same exact at bat that actually hit the strike zone that he called the ball in the same area. Yeah. So it's it's just and then the Gene Segura one that was like six inches in or five point four eight inches inside that was just I and and this and this has been going on for years with him. It's just you know it was Sunday night baseball. Everyone's watching. I mean, I, I watched a good chunk of that game. Um, and I can't honestly say I've watched too much baseball this year, just with the Celtics and Bruins runs. But I watched a good chunk of that game, and it just like I said, Schwarber said what we were all thinking. MLB came out and said they weren't suspending him. I don't. Maybe he got fined. I don't even know if he got fined. I don't think he did. Um, but it's, it's a problem. I mean, if players are going to be held responsible for their play and get sent down or get like Robinson Cano, just get DFA'd umpires should be the same. I know there's a union there to prevent things of that nature, but the players have a union as well. And, yeah. you know, people say, Oh, there's three teams out there. We'll treat the other ones. Cause clearly, like we just said, there's plenty of guys out there that are doing their job guys in the minor leagues, 
umpires who've been grinding their whole life to get to a big league stage. And then we have guys like Angel Hernandez who are just literally, literally changing the game, like literally taking in a one, nothing game. That was a one, nothing Sunday night game, taking the, taking the bats out of players' hands, not letting pitchers, you know, do what they want or get the calls that they should be getting. So. Yeah. And according to their metric, the overall factor metric, it was plus 0.77 runs for Milwaukee. So literally it was most likely because of his performance, he gave Milwaukee another run based on his umpiring. He basically like that's gave them run. That, yeah, the only run of the game. Like, that's just unacceptable. But then what Passon shared the other day, and I think you saw this, I might have sent this to you. Yeah. Based on his findings, the MLB gives a two-inch buffer zone on all sides of the strike zone to make up for margin of error. Because I'll agree, umpiring is probably the hardest thing to do in terms of officiating. You have a ball coming at you 100 miles an hour, cutting and moving in crazy ways, and you don't have a straight-on look at the plate. I agree. It's tough. But when the average is 94% based on umpire scorecards rating and other MLB umpire ratings, but the MLB's own rating graded Angel at a 96% because of that two-inch buffer zone, like that's just... To me, that's just the MLB's way of not getting themselves in trouble, you know, and you can't say anything to that, really. Like, you could say, like, well, your metric's wrong. Well, it's like, well, it's a metric we use, so obviously it's not wrong. You know what I mean? Like, and granted, giving the benefit of the doubt is whatever, but Angel has consistently been bad. You texted me the other day about it. Joe West, he was bad, but at least he was consistent with his calls. Angel is all over the place, man. And it is just really, really bad for the sport. Joe West, yeah, Joe West, I will say, and as he got older, definitely was not as great, but I remember watching him when I was younger and actually appreciating him for what he did. He is, he probably is a Hall of Fame umpire. There's not too many of them, but he probably is one. Um, and he was, he did what he did for a long time. Like I said, towards the end, he made some call. He, he would make the call that was the right call, but people weren't a fan of where Angel will make the wrong call just that just to put his put his stamp on the game and put yeah. put his fingerprint in the game so exactly it's crazy and it's then there was an umpire last night i think in the mets game i think bassett talked to my him. bad guy yeah, I, yeah exactly. his name. I didn't see who it was but yeah he literally tapped his chest after missing a um a clear strike and it, it was cool like you don't really see umpires do that just acting like genuine human beings to mm-hmm. pitchers, you know i didn't see his umpire score for that game um, but I would assume an umpire that's accountable and at least knows he fucks up is at least average, if not above average, um, yeah. in terms of score wise. So I can, I can look that up. Is there anything else you wanted to talk MLB? No, we got about 20 minutes till tip off. I know we wanted to touch quickly on the, the NFL drafts so while you're looking that up. I'll explain to the people what we're going to kind of briefly do just before we wrap up. Um, I know obviously you guys listen to the draft, the uh, mock draft or the fantasy, I guess, kind of draft. You can call it. We did with the BBB, um, which was a lot of fun to do. I hope we can do something similar next year. But um, Jordan and I are just going to go over our top or our three favorite first round picks. um, And then we're just going to go over one favorite pick we had um, from one of the other rounds of the draft. So um, do you want to start with your three? Do you want me to go through my three? Yeah, we can do that. Um... I was going to cheat for one of my picks because it'd be two picks to the same team. Are you going to go Giants picks? Because I thought about doing that too. (laughs) Yeah, I was, I was going to say both of the Giants picks, but if you were going to do that, you can make that yours. No, Um, go for it. Go for it. I got some others that I really like. 
Yeah, the fact the Giants got Kayvon and Evan Neal is just absolutely insane. Because at first, when I was watching the draft, I'm like, why are they taking Kayvon first? Why not go for your favorite tackle and then take uh, Kayvon at seven? A team could have easily traded up to the sixth spot with the Panthers. You know, there's a lot of two-pick teams left in the back half of the draft. Like, um, like the Eagles, who could... Honestly, they don't really need the edge help, but to develop a young player, Derek Barnett has not been the best um, since he's entered the league. But, you know, they could have figured out something there. But taking Kayvon with the fifth and then taking literally whoever you want, they Evan Neal was their top tackle, and they ended up getting him with the seven overall pick. And across the board, Evan Neal's the best tackle in this draft. He was my number two player in the entire draft. Um, so the fact they got Kayvon and Evan is awesome. I don't think Kayvon's the best edge in this draft, but I think he has the highest ceiling out of all the edges in this draft. So really excited. Um, it's a really cool young nucleus that they're going to have um, in New York with those guys. So that's great. And then I'm going to go with back-to-back picks here. The Philadelphia Eagles trading up with the Texans to get Jordan Davis, I thought was a fantastic pick. They need a replacement for Fletcher Cox. Javon Hargrave is solid. But Fletcher Cox, this is probably his final season with the Eagles. Um, And Jordan Davis is just a freak of nature, an excellent run stopper. He does need to get better at getting to the quarterback, but he's going to have a lot of supporting cast around him to help him do that with Hassan Reddick. Brandon Graham, I know he's on the older side, but he is is going to help out in that factor. And then I'm going to go Ravens, Kyle Hamilton. I think it's a fantastic pick. He's such a versatile player. Yes, they didn't need a safety because they have Chuck Clark and they just signed Marcus Williams to that huge deal. But safeties nowadays are not just told to play over the top in the box. They're told to go out and cover the slot. Some of them rush the passer. Some of them play out wide. I mean, Micah Parsons is an outside backer who played corner on 10 snaps last season. And it wasn't even against running backs. He was playing against receivers. You know, like Kyle Hamilton's such a good athlete and such an instinctive football player. And in that Raven system that brings back um, Mike McDonald, like that's going to be really awesome to see how they use him either as a hybrid linebacker safety flex and a nickel guy, you know, like, yes, they need corner help, but they picked up one of Alabama's corners in the fourth round. So really, if you don't want to put Kyle Hamilton in the corner spot, great. Now you have three guys you can use and you can put Kyle Hamilton wherever, you know? So I I really, really love both those picks defensive wise for the Eagles and the Ravens. Nice. Yeah. I was, it's funny. You took Jordan Davis and the giants picks for me, but it's fine. Cause I liked a lot of the picks in the first round, honestly. Um, I think my personal favorite was Jamison Williams, the lions yes. that surprised a lot of people that they traded up, but I think they're doing it right. You know, you get a guy you see there, you want him. I don't know if Goff's the guy for the future. Probably not, but build your receiver core. Now Monroe St. Brown had a huge year. You got TJ Hawkinson there. You have DeAndre Swift, who's a great pass catching running back and who's a pretty solid running back when he stays healthy. Get Jamison Williams. I know next year is going to be a, a not a stacked quarterback class, but from what they're saying, it's going to be better than what there was this year. So trade up and get the receiver talent now um, and then give your maybe rookie quarterback next year or in two years, you know, targets to throw to. I, I think that's great. I forget. I think we also all forget Hawkinson's only 25 or 26 years old as well. So yeah. not old by any means for a tight end when we see Kelsey producing what he is now. No, not at all. Um, Let's see. I do want to go Trent McDuffie to the chiefs. I was hoping the Patriots got him and then ultimately they traded that pick back. Um, So I think that was a great pickup for the chiefs building. We said it in our, on our pre um 
our pre-draft episode that the Chiefs definitely needed to build up um, that secondary, losing Tyron Matthew, and just after the the shootout last year with the Bills, um, and then getting lit up by Jamar. Um, so I think they did a great job there. And then probably last one I'm going to go with from the first round is Devin Lloyd to the Jaguars. Again, they beefed up their defense again, was hoping the Patriots got him when they slid down to 29. So it sucks that they didn't, but they're building that front seven there, obviously getting Trayvon Walker in the first, with the first overall pick and then getting Devin Lloyd. I think a lot of people maybe thought if they traded up, they'd get an offensive player there, maybe try to shoot for another receiver, but Ultimately, you got to build up your defense because, like they say, defense wins championships. So um, I think it's great that they got two really solid first round guys and um, for that defense. And I think their offense, you know, Trevor Lawrence can can grow. Obviously, that's what we're expecting to see under Doug Peterson, you know, build the defense from there. So definitely. No, that um, that Jaguars pick Devin Lloyd, I thought was really strong, especially the fact they got him at what? 27 overall. 27. Yeah. The fact he was there just goes to show that how the linebacker position, if you're not a generational talent, the value is dropping immensely. Devin Lloyd's a guy who can make or break a franchise, especially on the defensive side. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And then I guess outside the first round, what's the pick you got? So I'm, I'm between two. I'm going to go with my gut with one of these guys. I do want to talk about Roger McCree though. Uh, He was my top three corner in this draft. He didn't have the best season overall, but when he played against top end talent, he was shutting guys down and that's going to translate to the NFL. I mean, you see guys who were shut down all the time in college who just don't translate to the NFL as corners, Justin Gilbert, arguably in 2012 or 2013, I think his draft, maybe 2014 was the best corner in that draft and just was terrible in the NFL. Um, so Roger McCreary is one of those guys who I think is going to be excellent in the NFL, even though production-wise, he didn't play great his entire college career. But I'm going to go to the offensive side of the ball. I think you know exactly who I'm going to go with. George Pickens to the Steelers with Kenny Pickett as quarterback, and he gets to play in a young offense with Chase Claypool on the other side and then Deontay Johnson in the slot or Pat Frymuth inside him at tight end with Najee coming out of the backfield. This Steeler offense just went from one of the worst in the NFL and one of the least exciting to one of the most exciting just by getting Pickett and Pickens together. Um, is Pickens the best QB in this draft? I don't think so. But I think for what the Steelers are trying to do with the weapons they have and their skill sets, that's a great option. And I think adding Pickens, it's it's another second round, third round Steelers receiver taken that's going to exceed expectations. Like a Mike Wallace, Emmanuel Sanders. I know his career is short, but Martavis Bryant. Um, you know, the other, I mean, Antonio Brown was a seventh round pick. There's a plethora of, um, or he might've been a sixth round pick if I'm not mistaken, but there's a plethora of Steelers receivers. They get outside of the first round who end up being incredible. Pickens is at next one. I don't think he's going to spend his entire career in Pittsburgh. It'll be a deal where he'll go somewhere else after his rookie contract expires. But when he's in Pittsburgh, it's going to be the best moment of his uh, NFL career. Yeah, I was kind of hoping the Patriots got him, but with his, I think he had the second lowest drop percentage of the top 10 receivers, uh, maybe behind Sky Moore. So with Deontay's drop issues, I think that'll help, especially with the young rookie quarterback and with Trubisky as well, if he ends up starting the season. Um, rapid fire here, because obviously, like I said, Celtics tip off soon. I'm going to go with Andrew Booth going to the Vikings at 42. I think we all had him around maybe that 20-ish range. And the Vikings obviously getting Lewis Seen. 
should have known better too. I talked about him last week on the pod and uh, didn't know he was from Everett Mass. So uh, building that secondary as well. They signed Zadarius Smith this offseason. So I think that Vikings defense is going to get back to those old school Viking defenses of old, um, you know, and try to improve upon that. So what better way than to beef up your secondary there, trade back, um, get some draft capital from the Lions as well for that Jamison Williams trade. 100%. That's, I, that, I think all those picks are great. Yeah. Uh, those guys who are going to make huge impacts. I know we only have two, a couple minutes left here before the Celtics game starts. Out of everyone in the draft, who do you think is going to bust? Or um, first Let's go first round. Who do you think is going to bust? First round, wow. Um, can't say Cole Strange. I can't say. It's not going to be Cole Strange. Um, I'm going to go Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson? Jets. Ooh, interesting. I was going to go with another Jets player. Uh, Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson. Moore. I know. You're not big on him. Not not a big Jermaine Johnson guy, but hope he proves me wrong. We'll see. Yeah. I, like I said, it's the Jets. You never know. But I feel like Jets defense has a better chance of doing better than Jets offense. And I didn't want to pick bad. Sauce Gardner because his name's Sauce. Yeah. <laughs> can't fail with the name Sauce. No, you can't. He's locked so. down. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, shout out Jordan for wanting or for being able to record a little bit early tonight because wanted to watch the Celtics. So be praying for them tonight. Y'all see my tweets in the morning. And uh, you got anything else, Jordan? No, I'm good. You send it off, bud. Awesome. Well, go Celtics, go Suns. We'll see how the Sixers do, and we'll see y'all in two weeks.